and welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series Podcast brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Simone Crivellaro from the University of Illinois talking about single-port robotic surgery in urology, indications and outcomes. My name is Harvey Vigneswarn. I'm a urology resident at UIC in Chicago, and it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Crivellaro. Dr. Crivellaro is uh, the director of our robotic surgery training program at our department, and he'll be talking today about the indications and outcomes of single port robotic surgery. Thank you very much, Hari. Welcome, everybody. Um, let me share my screen. And uh, also, I really want to thank UCSF uh, to putting this uh, program of seminars together. Uh, kudos to them. I really believe it's a, it's a great initiative and very helpful, especially, uh, especially in this very particular time that we're living. So um, they asked me to start with disclosure. And I will start with the first disclosure. I am Italian, as you might have guessed by my thick accent. Um, and also I am a consultant for Intuitive. Now, being Italian, I never miss an opportunity to showcase my beautiful country. God knows if now it needs it more than ever. Uh, I was born and raised in Torino, which is a nice city in the northwestern part of the country which you might know if you are a skier because we hosted winter game in 2006. And if you're a football fan, you definitely know Torino because it's the home of the best football team ever assembled. And this is an unbiased opinion. Uh, it goes by the name of Juventus. Torino is also infamous for uh, a care factory, which is called Fiat, which as you know, stays for fix it again, Tony. So having said that, um, today I was asked to talk to you about the new single port robotic platform um, and its uh, indication and outcomes, early outcomes in urology. Now, I'm gonna try to talk about this platform from a very specific standpoint, which is the standpoint of an early adopter, uh, a surgeon who was able to secure this unit in December, 2018, very early in the game. And uh, after that, uh, it was facing a choice between cherry picking cases or just uh, keep calm and go all in. And um, I decided for the second option. And since then, 100% uh, of my cases, uh, robotic cases have been single port. As a matter of fact, I was lucky enough to uh, assess this technology in over 200 cases so far and uh, perform pretty much every uh, case that is robotically doable in urology. And this brings me to my first poll question, uh, which I really uh, invite you to answer. We're gonna address all these answers during the Q&A section at the end. It's a very simple question. Is your program or hospital using SP currently yes or no? So, as I was saying, um, being uh, able to perform all my cases with the single port put me in a, give me a very unique opportunity. The opportunity to try to answer the two big questions that always come with new technology, which is the what and the why. When it comes to the what, 
I like to show this uh, short uh, uh, clip about the, the single port, essentially to help people understand how much different is this robot. It's a single arm robot, which holds a 27 millimeter robotic cannula, through which it delivers a flexible camera, eight millimeter in size, and three six millimeter uh, robotic instrument. Now, I want you to understand that you don't want to replicate whatever you were doing with the multi-port platform with this. Because yes, it's gonna work, but if you do that, you won't even scratch the surface of the uh, potential that this platform has. And uh, this brings me to the actual second big question, which is the why. Because you would ask, why am I supposed at this point to move away from the multi-port platform, which is my comfort zone? I know it works, I have good outcomes with that. So why should I move from there to a new platform? There are a lot of good answers uh, to that question. Uh, and uh, actually, this brings me to the second poll question. So do you think right now, knowing what you know before this lecture, if the SP can add values to your robotic procedure? Again, yes or no? Uh, please go ahead and answer the question. And uh, so I'm gonna try to answer the why question, explaining to you why I made that decision. Uh, almost a, a year ago. Essentially, I wanted to solve, face and solve some of the problems and limitations that we've been dealing with, with the multi-port. And uh, one of them being the needs of uh, evolution. I really believe that uh, robotic surgery didn't really evolve during the last five to six years in urology. I didn't see any major breakthrough. And um, simply because I believe we exhausted all the potential uh, of the technology. And um, yes, we have seen over time uh, multiple updates of the same robot, of the same technology, but this is different. This is not the last update. I strongly believe this is the first generation of a completely new uh, robotic platform, which will lead us to different places, and I believe to better places. And so it's a unique opportunity to uh, try to make robotic surgery in urology evolve and progress. And why I think the SP will be instrumental in doing that, because there are a lot of new things uh, that this platform is bringing in the field. First of all, we're moving from a rigid camera to a flexible camera. And you can move this uh, flexible camera in many different ways. With camera control, you can actually uh, control the tip of the camera and move it in any uh, direction you want. With camera adjust, you can go in, out, right or left. You can rotate right, rotate left. And with the relocation pedal, you can move the entire platform and the camera pretty much in every quadrant of the abdomen. But this is just the start. Um, we also have another new feature called the, uh, the relocation, around the clock relocation. Essentially, you can rotate this, the, the platform along the single arm axis, which allow you to have the camera at 12 o'clock, six o'clock, three o'clock, or nine o'clock, 
whatever you think it's necessary for the task they are trying to uh, achieve. And that also helps you to have different kind of traction because you move the instrument too uh, together with the camera. This is a, an example of a good use of relocation around the clock. Um, this is a prostatectomy and uh, I'm about to access the posterior plane between the prostate and the rectum. And so what I did, I just rotate the camera at six o'clock and that gave me a very good visualization of the denombier and the plane between the prostate and the rectum. And on top of that, I'm able to put a very good traction with the cadier, which is at this point at 12 o'clock and progress with the dissection with the instrument at uh, three o'clock, which is the scissor and then nine o'clock, which is the bipolar. And so uh, again, this is just an example. The nice thing of the around the clock relocation is that it can be performed by the first operator at the console or by the uh, assistant at the table. The other new things is the uh, multi-quadrant relocation. The multi-quadrant relocation essentially allows us to move the entire platform anywhere in the abdomen without the need of redocking, without repositioning the patient. This is another example of use of uh, relocation. Um, that's a boaric, so very uh, proximal uh, ureteral stricture. The ureter is ready to go, but now I have to go down and I'm relocating into the pelvis in order to grab the bladder and then relocate up with the entire platform in order to secure the bladder to the source. So all this movement uh, proximal to distal, which we do for ILA ureter, reconstructive cases, nephru, and so forth, they're extremely easy to perform with a single port with no need of redocking or moving the patient. And finally, there is uh, something that we call the navigator. The navigator is a little uh, icon that you have at the bottom of your screen, which essentially gives you the real-time position of uh, uh, relative position of instrument and camera. So that's extremely helpful to be respectful of the quadrants and of the working space. But not just that, it's gonna give you warning. For example, if your instrument hit the edge of your working space, the instrument itself in your navigator will turn orange. And the camera, it turns green when you reach what we call the Cobra mode, which is essentially the, the, the best possible position of the camera in, uh, in uh, relatively to your instrument. So the best possible visual control of your instrument. So this is just a short description of all the new things we have available with this. And you can actually realize that the value that we're adding is simply to introduce new features, which I believe is the only way to evolve and to progress in what we do. And these new features are extremely instrumental to face and solve another problem that we've been dealing with, uh, with the multiport, which is the fact that the multiport platform is, as a matter of fact, less functional in small spaces. We all know that. Uh, and because of that, the vast majority of robotic surgeons, they've been performing their procedure intraperitoneally. Now, that's not a problem per se, but as urologists, we know that not going, um, not using other accesses than intraperitoneal, we give up some uh, benefits like uh, no need of TBRG, like faster bowel function return, 
like working in a contained space, which is always helpful for whatever can happen after the surgery. Uh, we know that non-intraperitoneal approach can provide less pain and the possibility of an earlier discharge. And uh, specifically for SP, regarding these last two points, we were able to show that the extraperitoneal approach for prostatectomy is associated with shorter post-op hospital stay and decreased need of post-op narcotics when compared to intraperitoneal approach. This is a paper we published last year in December on the Journal of Urology. So what I'm trying to say is that SP really is giving you the chance to move away from the classic intraperitoneal approach whenever is indicated and start exploring different accesses like the extraperitoneal for prostate, the retroperitoneal for kidney, transperineal, retsusparing is a very interesting arena which I recently started to explore, which fits perfectly with the single port and transvesical approach. Um, and so this is the third poll question. I'm very interested to know in your hospital, what approach you use for your kidney robotic surgery? If it's transperitoneal, anterior retroperitoneal, posterior retroperitoneal. And you'll have a very similar question for your prostate surgery. Why am I asking this question? Uh, simply because I believe that uh, the vast majority of robotic surgeons in the United States are going intraperitoneal, but a good number of them, they would love to go retroperitoneal for kidney because they know how much is, um, is useful, but they, they just don't do it because it's um, a little bit cumbersome with the multipore. Yeah, so I'm looking now, is 81% transperitoneal as I suspected. Okay, good, that's very good. And I'll show you um, one retroperitoneal uh, partial nephrectomy with the single port in order to show you how big is the potential with this platform for this particular approach. So as you have seen, you essentially make a 2.5, 2.8 centimeter incision, which is very small, and then you drive the entire platform inside your incision. Once you're inside, you deploy your instrument, and all of a sudden it looks like you're working in a big um, field, but it's not. A good number of time is not bigger than a baseball. Uh, but the fact that you're coming in through a single incision and you open your instrument inside makes it look bigger because essentially it completely cancels the problem of uh, uh, clashing outside or inside of the space that you developed. So retroperitoneal approaches, you know, the hardest part is orientation and there's a little bit of learning curve with that. But once you got it, it's extremely fast. We have the um, psoas down there at six o'clock, which is our main anatomic landmark when you start. Once you find that, you stay outside of Jurota and you go straight for the pedicle. Right now, we already have a, a glimpse of the artery right there. It's extremely fast. That's one of the nicest thing about the retroperitoneal approach. The artery is literally right there. Now, I'm helping myself with the retraction. The, um, the assistant is essentially doing almost nothing during the whole procedure. The, um, I'm helping with retraction with the bipolar, which is at this point at nine o'clock and is lifting up. And I'm progressing with the scissor at three o'clock 
and the cadier at six o'clock with the dissection. For suction, as you can see, I'm using a uh, 14 uh, folly, 14 French folly, um, and uh, this the all case is performed with the uh, air seal going on and the suction uh, constantly on. So now that I have found the artery and it's nicely dissected enough to put the bulldog on, I move on toward the kidney. I open Gerota, and again, um, I manage my own traction. So the bipolar is lifting up right there. The cadier is doing counter traction, so pulling down, and the Caesar is progressing, is progressing with the dissection. One big advantage of the single port uh, with retroperitoneal approach for kidney is that you can either treat lesion in the anterior face of the kidney or the posterior face. It, it really doesn't matter where the lesion is located, lower pole, upper pole. You know that with the multiport, there was a limitation uh, because anterior face, upper pole, you can do it, yes, but it's extremely, uh, it's a big struggle with the multiport. With the single port, that is not a problem anymore because again, you're coming through a single incision. You can relocate up, down, uh, proximal or distal, whatever you want. So now I keep cleaning the kidney. This was uh, actually a 3.5 centimeter endophytic, peripheral but completely endophytic lesion. So I really want to have a nice view of the entire kidney before I check with my uh, ultrasound probe. So the camera for now is still at 12 o'clock, okay? Because I don't need to have uh, a different view. I think I have a good control of the entire kidney like that. Now, uh, that's the, the probe that is introduced through a 12 trucker, which is through the same incision. The concept is called, uh, the setup is called Cytocar. And we'll talk a little bit about that uh, eventually in the presentation. So now I can see the lesion with my probe. I just mark my, uh, my kidney get ready for the uh, resection. So the probe is coming out in a second. And now I start thinking about what's the best setup for the resection. And uh, most of the time, the best setup uh, for these cases is with the camera at six o'clock because you're gonna have better traction on top of your head and because you have a better view. And that's exactly what I'm about to do. So in a second, I will start relocating with the so-called relocation around the clock, which is what's happening now. So essentially, I'm rotating the platform clockwise 180 degree. So the camera that used to be at 12 o'clock is now at six o'clock. Now, the camera is, I didn't switch the camera yet, but believe it or not, I couldn't perform the old case the way I am now, which is like doing surgery upside down. The only thing is that the anatomy landmarks are, are not that natural. So I switch the camera from above to below. And now I have a, a very nice view of my uh, lesion. And after the assistant switched the monopolar with the bipolar, I can get ready. So the cardiac is now at 12 o'clock. The Caesar is at 3 o'clock and the bipolar at 9 o'clock. And I'm getting ready for the assistant to do one of the few things he's going to do throughout the entire case, which is essentially positioning the bulldog. The, 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 the artery is right in front of me, it's a, a straight shot. I put the traction myself, and there you go. The, the bulldog is coming in, boom, and I'm ready to go. So I start my dissection, and again, the cadia is still up here, lifting up the gerotas, 
uh, and the perirene effect in order to give me space. Now, in a second, the assistant will get in with the rigid suction, which I normally don't use for these cases, um, simply because I love to have the, the flexible suction and to be able to control the suction myself. In the meanwhile, I start the dissection. Again, it's an endophytic lesion, so I have to go quite deep before I find the nucleation plane. The flexible suction is now in, and as you can see, I can really control the suction with my bipolar and help myself with uh, counter-traction with the cardiac. So I keep cutting, keep looking for the plane, and uh, it's really, a, the three instruments with the single port are actually working at the same time. So it's not just one instrument putting traction and the other two instruments progressing with the dissection. And the nice thing about single pore versus single with versus multi pore for the retroperitoneal cases like this is that you have three uh, very uh, functional uh, instruments available. Normally, with the multi pore, yes, you can fit four arms in the retroperitoneal space, but it's it's a lot of a struggle, and typically you don't use the fourth arm that much. You're not able because there's too much clashing. With this, there's not clashing at all, so all the three instruments are extremely functional. So now I have found the nucleation plane there. And as you can see, I actively use the Cadier for dissection. And then uh, I advance my um, suction, my poly, and keep cutting and keep getting the lesion. And it's a nice nucleation plan. It was completely endophytic, but uh, we didn't uh, cut too much uh, LC parenchyma on top of it. And now I'm ready to go for the reconstruction part. So at this point, uh, the assistant will uh, switch the instrument, will give me two needle drivers at three and nine o'clock. And uh, there you go. Let me skip a little bit for the sake of time. So this is the three O that I normally use for uh, the first layer of my reconstruction. As you can see, the sewing part is a little bit different uh, because you might have noticed already that you don't really have a wrist. You, you have an elbow with this instrument and you have a shoulder, but you don't have a wrist, which doesn't mean you're going back to laparoscopy at all, but it means that uh, the uh, movements that you have to do in order to sew, there are a little bit they are a little bit different than with the multiport, but uh, really the um, adjustment you need to do is very minimal. Those are the two all uh, that I normally use uh, to uh, close the defect. And in this case, we've been using the 12, the side, the 12 side cut, which again is through the same incision. So this is pure single incision surgery to pass the suture in. Uh, although if you don't want to use the 12 side car, like in case you're planning not to uh, clamp the artery, you can, uh, uh, you can um, put the suture through the robotic trocker itself. So now I'm done, uh, I'm, I'm lifting up with the cadier and the assistant is coming in to get the, uh, the bulldog out and that's it. So that's another question that I would like to ask because the same concept for the kidney applies for prostate. So I would like to know what approach you normally use for your prostate robotic surgery in your hospital. The anterior classic intraperitoneal approach the posterior so-called retiosperic intraperitoneal approach, the extraperitoneal, or the transvesical. Uh, so I would love to know um, which is the case, although 
I believe the vast majority of hospitals are now using the anterior intraperitoneal. So moving forward, oh, there you go. 79% of people are using anterior intraperitoneal. Okay, very good. So um, I'm just gonna give you a couple of minutes of the extraperitoneal prostatectomy video, simply because otherwise we're gonna run out of time. But it's the same concept. So we have a 2.5 centimeter incision. Um, we enter the space that we previously created. Once we are in, we just deploy our instrument and you can appreciate how small is this incision through these um, features. So now I'm, I'm essentially using the relocation to center the arm and then to navigate inside. And once I'm inside, I can deploy the instrument, flex the camera, and uh, I won't have, as a matter of fact, any conflicts or, or, or clashing after this. And at this point, really, extraperitoneal, it's very nice. You don't need to drop the bladder. Uh, the pelvic floor is already there. You have, again, three instruments available for traction and uh, dissection. In this case, I also use either an NG tube or um, uh, a 14 French Foley for suction, for flexible suction, so that way I can control the flexible suction myself. And the technique is really not any different than a normal um, uh, retropubic or extraperitoneal prostatectomy. Um, I'm cleaning the fat now. And uh, now they're introducing, in, in this case, an NG tube. So the prostate is right there. And I will be getting ready to uh, open the endopelvic fascia very soon. Now, let me skip a little bit. I want to show you the um, bladder neck part uh, after I open the endopelvic fascia. That's a DVC. All right, so bladder neck, it's, it's very interesting because, see, I can put traction and control the suction at the same time uh, with my three instruments, and I have no need of uh, uh, really the assistant helping me. So now that I got in, uh, I, I just got uh, the catheter, I can grab the catheter with the cadier, which has been switched from six o'clock to uh, nine o'clock and keep uh, and, and approach the posterior bladder neck. And again, no traction from outside. Everything is essentially controlled by the uh, first uh, uh, surgeon. So the bipolar at six o'clock helped me uh, push down on the bladder and um, I progress with the dissection with the scissor. And if I have urine coming into my view, I just move my NG tube and leave it there on top of the bladder neck in order to keep the, uh, the field dry as much as I can. Now I'm looking for the uh, SV. Again, traction and suction at the same time. Just pulling down, the non-VA is in view. And keep going. And uh, once I have uh, cut through the non-VA and I see the, uh, the SV and the VAS, I'm actually gonna uh, change traction because right now the, the cadier is up here at 12 o'clock. You can see it in the navigator and it's holding the catheter. But at this point, really, that traction is not really helpful for me. So what I'm gonna do, I will uh, um, grab the SV and actually the vest before with the cadet. 
there you go. So I drop the catheter, I grab the SV with my cardiac, and I push down on the bladder with my bipolar, and I keep progressing with the dissection. Now, I have three instruments working in a very small space. This is no more than two centimeter space. And regardless, I don't have real trouble or conflicts or clashing of the instrument because again, it's single port. And so I can really progress into my dissection uh, in small spaces like this with no problem at all. And I can play with the traction with the bipolar and the cadier and uh, make my way through the SV. All right, so um, enough of uh, surgical videos. That's what happened to my practice since I started using SP. That's what I'm talking about. Essentially, I moved from 100% overall intraperitoneal cases, regardless they were prostaking and whatever, which is in line with, I understand, you guys are doing in all your hospitals. So I moved from that situation to a combination of intraperitoneal, extraperitoneal, retroperitoneal, intravesical, and retiosparing cases. Simply because the SP made those accesses and those approaches easier, more approachable, more um, easier essentially to perform. Because I already tried before with the multiport to do something different because I know those approaches are associated with benefits, but I just gave up because it was too cumbersome and too difficult. I really believe the SP make these accesses easier to perform. And that's exactly the value that we're adding we are offering different anatomic approaches to finally tailor the procedure to the patient and not the other way around, which in terms help to really uh, try to uh, tackle one of the major topic of minimal invasive surgery, which is the invasiveness. Because we say we are minimal invasive with the multiport, but are we? In other words, do we have any room for improvement? I really believe so. And when I say invasiveness, I don't mean just the cosmesis part. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean pain control. I mean length of stay. I mean faster recovery. And yes, um, sorry, but for some reason it's acting. We can perform um, very complex procedure through small incision. And that's cool. But we can also impact on pain and uh, length of stay. That's a, a paper that we recently published in European Urology. It's a comparison between single pore prostatectomy and um, multi-pore prostatectomy showing a decrease in length of stay, an increase of patient discharge after one overnight, and an increase of pain-free patient on post-op day one in favor of SP. And it's not just us. Uh, this is another paper published recently on Journal of Urology by uh, Jeff Nick's group in the University of Alabama, same comparison, uh, shorter length of stay for single port, although not statistically significant different. And those are Ronnie Abaza's number from Ohio Health. He was able through the single port to decrease the mean post-op score by 15%. And also he's been having this nice uh, same day uh, discharge protocol for years now. And since he introduced the single port, he was able to send patient home with the single port same day, 88% of the time, uh, in comparison with 50% of the time with the multiport. So if you ask me, and according with the early data that we have in the literature, yes, we are impacting on invasiveness. We are decreasing the invasiveness of what we do. 
And I really believe that uh, through DSP, we can move toward something even less invasive of what we do now, which I call microinvasive surgery for, for a lack of a better word, really. And this is because we're doing different things. We are using more exoperitoneal, retroperitoneal approach. We are dissecting less than before. We are using lower pneumo because we're kind of forced to. We're working in smaller spaces. Uh, we're going through a single incision. We uh, can create less pain and we can send the patient home early. So when you put all these together, you realize how much impact you can have on, on the investments of what you do. There are other values we're adding with SP, really. I believe we're proving the ergonomics of what we do. This platform is smaller, as a matter of fact. Uh, we have more space around the patient than before. And the setup is definitely shorter. We were able to save, on average, 15 minutes per robotic procedure because of the shorter setup and because of the easier docking. Now, when it comes to the docking, the platform can come from anywhere around the patient. So there is no more specific setting of the OR based on what procedure you're doing, simply because the single arm can flip 360 degree around the cart. So once you're close enough to the trucker, you flip the uh, arm in, in the direction of the organ target, and then it's just one click, and essentially you're done. Another value that I think we're adding is that there is a major effort through this platform to move toward a pure solo procedure robotic surgery kind of endourology style. And we were able to achieve this because we moved away from the standard setup, which we were using at the very beginning of this experience, the so-called plus one. And we started using the uh, floating dock setup or the sidecar setup. I'm sorry, I don't know why my picture, they're not showing up. I'm not gonna go into details about this um, because we don't have time enough, but I can tell you that through this setup, the role of the assistant is really minimal or known. So the first surgeon is really able to have control of most of the procedure. Finally, outcomes. Of course, the value that everybody wanna add for their patient is to get better outcomes. Are we getting better outcomes out of this? That's still a question mark. I mean, we are really early in this game. It's really hard to say anything uh, definitive about it. There are very few paper, uh, comparison paper published at this point. There are a lot of uh, um, series like uh, show and tell paper published, but the only few paper we have, the one that I already mentioned before, they're showing an improvement in some of the perioperative early outcome in favor of the single port, like the pain control and the length of stay. And the other early perioperative outcomes, essentially there is no difference, uh, which means that the SP is a minimum non-inferior to multi-port, which to me is a very good news. This is a new platform. Most of these papers are published based on the first cases done. So through the learning curve, which I believe there is a learning curve with this. And so we'll see what's gonna happen in the long-term for uh, the long-term uh, oncologic outcome and functional outcomes. So if you ask me, and that was the, the real title of this uh, lecture, if you ask me, 
what are the best indications for this platform? I'm gonna tell you, based on my experience so far, that this platform really perform better in small spaces. So uh, extraperitoneal approach, retroperitoneal, retio sparing, transvesical, transperineal. You can use it in bigger spaces, intraperitoneally. I believe that's the, the best way to go when you start doing this. Uh, but you'll soon realize that uh, uh, you can do uh, a great job uh, through these approaches, which, as I said before, we know they are associated with uh, some very um, some very big benefits. Uh, and, and so I like to say that in some ways for the extraperitoneal, retroperitoneal approach, this is kind of back to the future for urologists because when I was trained, most of the procedure we were doing, they were open and as a resident and we were always going extraperitoneal for prostate and always going retroperitoneal for, for kidney. And then the robot came along, laparoscopy came along and the robot and so we were kind of forced to give up those approaches and go to the peritoneum um, and uh, we were not super happy about that but we did that because the robot was adding some different values and now we have the finally the chance to go back to the uh, nice approaches that we we're using before with on top of that all the benefits that the robot can bring to the minimal invasive surgeries in terms of early outcomes, um, what I can tell is that this platform uh, can provide less invasiveness in terms of pain and length of, and length of stay. And uh, for all the other outcomes, for now, I can tell is not inferior, which is kind of what one of the um, goal of this platform is to just decrease the invasiveness of what we do not jeopardizing or compromising the good outcomes we were already getting before. Uh, so I think, uh, I think this, is, um, this is a good uh, overall outcomes for this platform so far. And that's my last poll question, which is exactly the same as uh, the one that I asked at the beginning of my presentation. So do you think SP can add values to your robotic procedure? I just want to make a... a make sure that I was able to deliver why I do believe the SP is here to stay and why I do believe that this platform is adding some um, very important values to what we do. So I was asked to uh, put up this slide. Um, Okay, good. 95% of people think that SP uh, can add values. Good. That means that I did a decent job at least. Um, I believe we do have still 20 minutes, Harry. Yeah, uh, some questions. Um, so uh, one question is, um, what uh what is the training and learning curve with sp compared to other robotic platforms well that's that's a very good question um i believe there is a learning curve uh mainly associated with the with the use of the camera uh camera is is really different than before it's a flexible camera and uh, as i show you in the clip you can control this camera in many different ways and it involves using the pedals and, um, and the masters as well. 
So it takes a little bit to learn how to use it and to change your mindset. Because uh, with the rigid camera, really, you don't have a lot of options. So you don't even think about it. But uh, with the flexible camera, you have to think about it because if you, if you learn how to use it properly, then uh, you can actually take a big advantage of it and have different kind of angle of view that you didn't have before. Um, another learning curve part, I believe it comes with the use of the navigator, uh, which really helps because at first you will feel constrained because again, it's a single port. There is not a lot of swings laterally or in any direction. And so when you reach your limit with your instrument, what you have to do, and the navigator will let you know that, you have to relocate the entire platform in the direction in which you want to keep working. So essentially, it's like dividing your big uh, surgical field in many, many smaller surgical fields and then keep progressing that way, which is one of the reasons why I believe this platform is working great in small spaces. Um, overall, I don't believe it's a hard learning curve. It's not like going back to square A. It's not like going back to your first robotic prostatectomy uh, at all. Uh, we did a human factor study and that uh, uh, didn't show any difference in terms of uh, human factor variables, which is essentially means how much you're struggling to learn something new. And there was no difference. And in terms of time, uh, procedure time, uh, after the first 10 prostatectomy, we were able to catch up and we're now essentially below our standard time because many of the shorter setup. I hope I answered. Yeah, I think so. Um, so question, um, so what are uh, some of the difficulties, if any, you've experienced using the SP? And just to go off that, um, what uh, maybe what was the easiest procedure to transition to uh, with the SP versus most difficult? Well, I believe that uh, uh, for me, the easiest procedure to start was we started with intraperitoneal standard anterior approach prostatectomy with a plus one. Um, and then um, we slowly, you know, start exploring different options. In general, I believe you should start with whatever uh, you're more familiar and more comfortable with. And, uh, and in the beginning, you will inevitably try to replicate all the move and all the dissection technique that you were doing with your uh, multiport. But then slowly you start changing your mindset and you start using the technology in a different way, which I think that's, that's where the extra value belongs you really can add new things um, with the combination of new features. It's a process, but I strongly recommend to start with whatever you're more comfortable with, which in most cases is intraperitoneal prostatectomy simply because that's the procedure that we perform the most in general. And uh, what would you say the most difficult part is when starting? I think the most difficult part is to actually change your mindset uh, because we're so used to use the multiport and we're so used to the limitation and the problems that comes with it. And so we kind of adapted over time to those limitations and we, we got used to it and we start doing things and uh, adapting to the technology limitation. With this, all of a the sudden, there are some things that you can do that you couldn't do before, but 
your brain, it takes a, lot, a little bit uh, longer time for your brain to catch that. And so you have to remember, for example, that you can flex your camera. You have to remember that you can relocate around the clock and have the camera at six o'clock. You have to remember all these things. And so probably that's, uh, that's the hardest part. Uh, another question. Uh, would you consider the cost of initiating SP at a new hospital prohibitive or is it similar to uh, multi-port platform? Yeah, we did a cost analysis on our first 50 prostatectomy. Um, the disposable, uh, the cost of the disposable instrument is slightly higher than multi-port. It's not prohibitive, it's not uh, extremely higher, but it's, it's higher. Um, we were able to uh, decrease the overall cost because we decreased the time of surgery and we decreased the instay. And so if you consider that, if you put that into the equation, the overall cost of a single port, it becomes uh, similar to a multi-port. Also, I believe when it comes to cost, you have to keep in consideration um, not just the cost of what you're using, but also the cost of you know, the overnight stay, uh, the time of surgery, and all other variables that, uh, that I, are typically not taken in consideration. This is uh, a platform that can really open the way to real outpatient uh, robotic surgery for, for a lot of cases. Um, I mean, having an SP in a surgery center and being able to perform a good number of cases robotically there, that's, that's a major, that's a major, uh, from a cost standpoint, I think that's a major improvement. So yes, it costs a little bit more in terms of disposable, but I don't think it's prohibitive. And I think there, there's some extra value even financially that we're adding. Okay. Uh, in terms of the, the learning curve for the OR st staff, could you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, for the OR, for the scrub nurse, uh, there is a learning curve because um, the way the robot is draped is different. Uh, it's one single drape that needs to go all around the single arm and it's not super easy to put it on. The instrument itself are different. Every single instrument has a sheath around, so they have to put the sheath around. The scissor, they have disposable tip which is nice for the surgeon because every case you have a new tip. So essentially it's like having a new instrument for every case, but uh, putting this tip on top of the instrument is actually not super easy. So I, I found out that was a big part of the training as well. Um, so normally, you know, uh, the company offer training for the uh, or people as well. Uh, and for the surgeon, of course. So, and I think they did a, they did a good job. I mean, our hospital, most of our scrum nurses, they're already familiar with robotic surgery in general. So we didn't have any particular problem in, um, in moving from multi-port to single port in that regard. Uh, so question, um, so uh, we're wondering if uh, since the procedures are slightly different uh, with multi-port, is there a surgical atlas that you know of that highlights the specific differences between single port and multi-port surgeries? A specific procedure? Uh, 
Ari? Uh, surgical, uh, surgical atlas. Sorry, I cut out there. Do you know of a surgical atlas that highlights the differences between single port and multi-port? So you're breaking off, and I can't, I can't hear you. Can you just write it down, the question, or show me what question it is? Uh, yeah, it's in that Q and A, but um, maybe uh, you can hear me now. The the question was: Is there a surgical atlas that highlights the specific differences between single port and multi-port that you know of? Oh, um, well, I don't, I'm not sure there is a, a specific surgical atlas to, 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 to show specific difference uh, between the two platforms. Um, you can really, the, the steps of the procedures in the end, they're pretty much the same. I mean, if you go, if you do a retroperitoneal partial, you've seen it, the steps are the same. You dissect, you go for the pedicle, you go for the artery. And, and then uh, the difference is that inside every specific step, you, um, you manage your dissection differently. Because first of all, there is no interaction with the assistant most of the time. And uh, you do have three active instruments in a very small space. And so you start doing things differently. You start being, in my opinion, more efficient because you don't have to rely on anyone. And the, the, one, the amount of dissection you do is less and less because you manage your, your interaction better. So you don't need to dissect a lot. If you know your anatomy, you just go straight uh, to, the, to the target. And, and, and so that's the thing that that's the main, the main difference. And, uh, but the technique itself really is not changing that much. Right. Um, I think that's it for questions. Um, I guess just a quick reminder uh, to fill out the, uh, the lecture evaluation for the organizers, uh, if you could. Maybe yeah, I can, I can, I can put slide. the slide back. Okay, I think is this one. Oh, and um, for everybody, I do have um, UIC is an observation center. I mean, of course, uh, now because of the COVID situation, we had to uh, all done for that. But uh, if you want to come and uh, observe cases or if you need any other information, uh, you can contact me anytime. Also, we are about to start a virtual um, case observation series. So you're going to have the chance to watch unedited uh, uh, full videos. And uh, we can do Q&A at the end. Uh, and uh, so it's just to help everybody to understand uh, how this platform works. And if you have any specific question, you can definitely send me an email or contact me. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.